Proverbs 8 and 9, and let's do a quick word of prayer here before we dig in. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to be here. We just pray, as always, Lord, you would teach and we would listen to what you have to say. And uh, Lord, a Labor Day weekend, so we know a lot of people out traveling, last-minute vacations. Lord, be with them, keep them safe in all ways and all things. And Lord, we thank you for the time to be here. We ask for your blessing upon this in your name. Amen. All right, when you think of the book of Proverbs, um, the thing I always think about and the thing I always love about the book of Proverbs is one sentence, one verse, little nuggets. And that starts in Proverbs chapter 10. Those are those great little things where as you read them, it's just that one little verse, and it's like, that's exactly what I needed to hear. That's what I love about the book of Proverbs. And we'll be starting that next week. Proverbs 8 and 9 are really the last of what I call the teaching Proverbs, where they're really trying to establish a point here and really trying to establish a, uh, an idea as you go through it. So what you have here in Proverbs 8 and 9 are the last of these deep, teaching points. Starting in chapter 10, you get those little nuggets, which I'm looking forward to. So with that being said, Proverbs 8 and 9 is continuing our theme here that we've had for the last couple weeks, which is wisdom. Seeking wisdom, getting wisdom. And as we've built on this the last couple weeks, is you want to get wisdom before you need it. So often in our Christian walk, we wait till there's a trial, we wait till there's a problem, then we cry out to God, Lord, what do you want me to do? Where God says, seek me before there's an issue. Seek me before there's a problem. And that will keep you out of a lot of problems. Well, in Proverbs 8 and 9, it sums us up very nicely about wisdom calling out for us and wisdom desiring us. Uh, in chapters 8 and 9 here, wisdom is personified as, as, a, as a woman, as a person here, calling out, saying, seek me out and understand me. And that's what we have here in Proverbs 8. So with that being said, verse 1, Proverbs 8, 1, Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill, beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates and at the entrance of the city, at the entrance of the doors. To you, all men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. Now, let's stop right there. Because the understanding here is wisdom is there. Look at where wisdom's at. Verse 2, she's on the high hill. Verse 2, she's at where the streets meet. Verse 3, she's at the gates of the entry of the city. She's at the doors. She's calling out. Wisdom is always calling out to us on make a right, godly choice and to make a right, godly decision. Now, do we listen? So often, people come into my office and they're like, here's the situation, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And nine times out of ten, if you ask them, hey, what do you think you should do? They know what to do. They have the wisdom, they have the guidance. See, what problem, the problem we have with Christianity is not not knowing what to do, it's the follow-through part of it. Generally speaking, we know what we're supposed to do. God has revealed to us what the right answer is. God has revealed to us what the right path is. It's just that we don't want to do it. The follow-through is hard. Answer is simple. The follow-through is hard. This is what you see here in verses 1 through 4. Wisdom is crying out to you. And I'm willing to bet that some of you here sitting this morning that have a big decision that you have to make, a big choice, and you're sitting there and you're wondering and you're confused, and should I do this or should I do that? If I came up to you and said, hey, what do you think you should do? You would probably have the answer already. It's just that you don't want to do it or it sounds too hard, or it sounds too difficult. Wisdom is there, and it's simple. And that's look at the rest of the definition here of wisdom, verse 6. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things, and from the opening of my lips will come right things. For my mouth will seek truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction. Look at the description here of wisdom. Verse 6, it's excellent. Verse 6, it's right. 
Verse 7, it's truth. Verse 8, it's righteousness. And verse 9, my favorite, it's plain. It's simple. And it's not simple in some type of demeaning way. It's simple and plain. Once again, you know what God wants you to do. So often we make life difficult. What's my calling? What's my purpose? What am I here for? And how many times have you heard us say this? If you're married, your calling is to love your wife as Christ loved the church if you're the husband, or to respect and honor unto the husband if you're the wife. If you have kids, your calling is to raise your kids in a godly manner. If you don't have kids, your calling is to go out there and be a light and a witness of whatever you say or do. It's simple. It's plain. I like that. One of the things I like about Christianity is how simple it is. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. You want to get to heaven? It's simple. It's Jesus, one way. And what you have right here is this idea of wisdom is plain. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, God is not a God of confusion. So when I see somebody in confusion... That means we're not right where we're supposed to be with the Lord. And anytime I'm trying to make a big choice, a big decision in life, and there's confusion in my heart, it's like, okay, Lord, something's not right here. I'm not hearing you. I'm not listening to you because I'm letting confusion rule me. And if anybody ever comes and talks to me and they're just full of confusion, I usually say, hey, why don't you quiet your heart down and spend some time with the Lord? And to be quite honest, if they're full of confusion, you go up to them and say, hey, are you spending that time with the Lord? Generally speaking, they're not. Because where confusion is... Wisdom isn't, and God's not a God of confusion. His wisdom, look at this description again, it's excellent, it's right, it's truth, it's righteousness, it's plain. I love that part of it. Well, with anything, you have wisdom, which is right, but then you have the flip side, which is our flesh. Look at verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. Now, this is a fact that we've established time and time again. The Bible says God is a God of love. That's clear. I mean, He loves us. He loves us in grace and mercy, unconditional love. God loves us. And when we think of God, the Bible wants us to think of love. So when you have this mindset that God is love, but yet when you read a verse like verse 13, where the word hate is used twice, you have to stop and say, okay, what is making this God of love now say, I hate? That's a pretty big thing. For a God of love to sit there and say, I hate something. Well, what does he hate? Well, verse 13, he hates evil. Okay, well, the rest of verse 13 explains what evil is. Pride and arrogance in the evil way. Pride and arrogance. You know, God can work with anything and can work through anybody. The Bible's taught us that. God has worked through a donkey. God has worked through a great fish. God has worked through a murderer like Moses and David. God works through a liar like Abraham. God works through a man of doubt like Moses. God works through a drunkard like Noah. He worked through all those people. But the one thing that God cannot and will not work with is what? Pride and arrogance. Because pride says, I'm number one. Pride says, I'm God's not guiding and controlling me. Pride is saying, I am controlling me. I know the best path. I know the right way. And what's the result of that? Well, that's arrogance. When somebody thinks they know it all and have all that understanding, that pride then leads to arrogance. And what does God call that in verse 13? He calls that evil. And what did he say at the beginning of verse 13? He hates evil. So if pride and arrogance are directing your life, that's an evilness. And God says, I hate that. I absolutely hate that. And what's the other thing he says? In the perverse mouth. I hate. Turn, if you will, to uh, Matthew 15. Let's talk about this for a little bit. Matthew 15. 
The perverse mouth. How's your mouth? See, because a lot of what people judge us on is what comes out of our mouth. Now, obviously, perverse mouth, perversity, it's talking about more than just bad language. Obviously, a filthy mouth, language coming out of mouth, that's wrong, that's sinful. And as Christians, we need to watch what we say. But there's even a deeper attitude going on here about the mouth. Look here in Matthew 15. Uh, pick it up here in uh, verse 17. Matthew 15, verse 17. Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach as eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and that defile man. See, those words that we use are a reflection of our heart. And we're talking, once again, more than just saying bad words. Is what words are coming out of your mouth. That reflects your heart. And so when I see somebody who has a mouth full of bitterness, anger, frustration, envy, pride, that's really a reflection of what's going on in their heart. And so what God is saying here is he goes, I hate the perverse mouth. Well, and then what we have in Matthew 15 is that perverse mouth is showing actually a perverse heart. Now that's a scary thought. Because sometimes you stop and you think about what comes out of your mouth. I stop thinking about what comes out of my mouth and I think, wow, those things are a reflection of my heart. That's a horrible thing. I had a situation recently where I had a very perverse heart. I had a situation where something very small, very minute, and in the whole scheme of things, not that big a deal, I let get to me, and next thing you know, I'm just angry. I'm just angry. I mean, just, just, just full of anger and, and, dare I say, rage. And, just, and, I'm, and I'm thinking here about just how angry I am and upset I am at this situation. Well, Dawn's there, and she's taking the brunt of this, and she just simply says, what's going on? Something that little should not bring forth that type of reaction. And really what was happening is what was coming out of my mouth was a reflection of where my heart was in that situation. See, when I run into somebody who is so full, once again, of anger, frustration, bitterness, whatever, I'm just like, man, I'm, I'm looking right at your heart. Because your mouth is revealing to me what is going on in that heart. And so when I have a perverse mouth, it means my heart is not where it's supposed to be with the Lord. And that's what God doesn't like. Because God wants your heart, he wants my heart. He wants our innermost being. Let's stay on the same idea here and flip, if you will, to James chapter 3. Let's build on this a little bit more. James 3. James 3, uh, verse 8. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Boy, doesn't that describe the tongue, the mouth? Boy, I have seen people with a strong mouth that can tear down their spouse in an instant, that can tear down their kids, tear down their coworkers. And that mouth is such a poison. And you, if you're around somebody... You know what words hurt them. You know what actions hurt them. And then counseling people say, why would you say that? You know how much that bothers me. Why do we say it? Because we know it bothers you. The tongue is that poison that tears and destroys. Verse 9, with it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who has been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. 
Does a spring send forth fresh water and a bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Isn't that an apt description of somebody with a perverse heart? With one instance, they're out there singing these wonderful praise songs, quoting scripture, talking about God. And the next instance, they're tearing somebody down. Tearing them down in gossip, tearing them down in anger and frustration and bitterness and envy. God says, wait a second. What's wrong with your heart? Because what's coming out of your mouth is a reflection of your heart. So yet, on one hand, you're saying God is love and you love me and you're singing me these wonderful praise songs. But the next instant, you're destroying your brothers and sisters in the Lord, your spouse, your kids. Because that's a perversity. I hate that. See, verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? What's wisdom? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom makes me watch my mouth. Verse 14, but if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. So when I see somebody that has bitterness, has envy, has self-seeking in their mouth, I know what's going on in their heart. And what happens is, what is the result of that? Well, verse 15, it's earthly, fleshly, it's demonic. Because Satan will use that to destroy and divide. Verse 16, what's the effect on it personally? Confusion and evilness. Now think about that. Take a look at your mouth. Is it one of those things where what is coming out? Is it edifying? Is it building up the body of Christ? Is it encouraging? Is it loving? Or is it destroying? Is there anger? Is there enviness? I mean, what, what is going on in that heart that shows that? See, for me, when I had my trip up earlier this week, that revealed my heart. It wasn't where it was supposed to be. And out of the mouth came the thoughts and intents of the heart. And it's like, wow, Lord, that was a wake-up call. Because you know, on the outside, everything looks good, everything sounds good, but yet the heart. And when I see somebody that can fly into that anger and that rage that quickly, it's like, oh man, your heart, that heart. What are we supposed to do? How is our response supposed to be? Verse 17, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Look at the difference here. The heart of the flesh that's demonic and earthly, it's bitter, it's envy, it's self-seeking, it's confusion. The heart that's supposed to be with the Lord, it's pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits. But that's the heart I want. But you know how hard it is to have that heart when you're angry? Oh man, that's hard. And you know how hard it is to have that heart in verse 17 when you have been wronged? I mean, you have, been, you have been rightfully wronged. You have a reason to be upset. You have a reason to be frustrated. But yet God still says respond in purity and peace and gentleness. I tell you, I hate verse 17. Because <laughs> I don't want to respond in that. Because the flesh feels good. I'm not going to lie to you. Sometimes it feels good to get angry, doesn't it? You let off that steam and you, have that, you just feel that power of the words. And God says, that's not me. I, I'm peaceable, I'm pure, I'm willing to yield, I'm gentle, I have mercy. But Lord, they have wronged me. I know they've wronged you, that's why I want you to be full of mercy. Well, I, I'm full of mercy and they're just going to come back and do it again. Yeah, I know they're going to do it again, that's why I want you to be willing to yield. Well, that's tough. But you know, it's how we respond when we are wronged that really shows what our heart is. 
And when anger and envy and self-seeking and confusion and bitterness are there, it shows my heart. But yet when I'm peaceable and pure, that also shows my heart too. Because verse 18, I want peace. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. You want peace in your life? You want peace in your marriage? You want peace at work? Start sowing peace. What you plant is eventually going to grow. And so when people come in for marriage counseling or they come in to talk or they got a situation at work or with their kids or with others and there's a situation full of anger, generally you respond in anger, then I respond in anger. You respond in the flesh, I respond in flesh. Okay, somebody's got to respond in peace. And once you start sowing peace, the peace will eventually come. That's a tough thing to do. That's a real tough thing to do. And some of you, once again, you have been wronged. And I have a right to be angry. I have a right to be frustrated. No, we need to be willing to yield gentle, merciful to peace. And that's what wisdom is. Wisdom says I can forgive. Wisdom says I can let this go. Wisdom says I don't want this to control me. Jump back now, if you will, to a Proverbs 8. Now, let's just be honest. Easy to say, hard to do. That's why we have verse 17 of Proverbs 8. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. See, when we put effort into our walk with the Lord, and when we put effort into truly seeking wisdom, I tell you guys, you're blessed by it. It keeps you off those paths of pain. It keeps you off those paths of hurt. Wisdom protects us. How many times, growing up as kids, did your parents tell you right from wrong? Because that wisdom was there to protect you. Now that you have kids, don't you tell them right from wrong. You're trying to instill wisdom there to protect them. You know, last night we had the um, harvest party over the Winsingers. It was a lot of fun. And, you know, my boys go over to the Winsingers a lot. And they have these swings. And I told Elias and Judix they were going to be running around. I said, stay away from the swings. Don't go near the swings. I said, there's going to be other kids swinging on them. They're going to be going up and down, back and forth. I said, you're going to get smacked in the head. Stay away from the swings. If no one's on the swings, go play with the swings. If someone's on the swings, stay away. So you know what? Wisdom. They stayed away from the swings. They didn't get hit in the head. You know who got hit in the head? Kenan got hit in the head. Number three, I never told Kenan to stay away from the swings. So Kenan just runs right into the swings and takes one smack dab in the head. I was watching them too. Um, <laughs> wisdom protected the older two. Stay away from the swings. Number three didn't get the wisdom. You got smacked in the head. I tell you, doesn't that just happen in life? Wisdom keeps us from getting hurt emotionally, spiritually, physically. It does. When we choose to reject that wisdom, we get hurt. And you know what we have to do to get that wisdom? Verse 17. Love the Lord, seek the Lord, and you'll find it. problem is it takes effort. It takes a lot of effort. And in the society we live in today, in this fast food society, in this everything quick, we don't want to put a lot of effort into it. We want it quick, we want it fast, we want it easy. Where God has said from the beginning, if you want wisdom, it's going to take diligence. It's going to take spending time with me. And he builds on this. Jump ahead if you go to verse 34. Actually, verse uh, 33 of chapter 8. Hear instruction and be wise. Do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. Whoever finds me finds life. 
and obtains favor from the Lord. When's the last time you watched and waited on the Lord? Boy, in our society, we don't watch and wait too much, do we? It has to be quick. It has to be fast. The idea of watching and waiting on the Lord is we just don't have time for that. The Bible uses this great word. It's called meditate on the Lord, to chew on, to think about. It takes time to do that. And a lot of times what we do in life is we don't make time for the Lord. We put other things as a priority above Him. And some of those things that we put as a priority above Him aren't wrong. Aren't wrong at all. We, uh, Dawn and I got this great documentary from the library and we've been watching it. And it's like 10, up, 10 or 11 episodes. And it's a, long, it's a long documentary and it's absolutely wonderful. And we've been thoroughly watching it and enjoying it. I love history. I love that type of stuff. You know, so what, what happens here is this idea of you know, we want to get to start watching it as quick as possible. So you know, when you get the kids to bed... As quick as possible. It doesn't matter if it's 4 or 5 in the afternoon. Just go to bed. We want to watch this show. And so the kids go to bed, and you watch an episode of this documentary. It's like, oh, that's amazing. Let's watch another one. So you watch another one. The next thing you know, it's 12. It's 1 in the morning. you got to get going to bed. So then you sit there, and it's like, Lord, I, I just don't have any time to spend with you. And God's like, well, what about the three hours that you've been watching that documentary? And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing inappropriate in it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just prioritizing. You know, we sit here during worship, and there's been some, there were some great songs this morning of just, Lord, wanting you and desiring you. And God says, okay, you want me, you desire me. Are you willing to put the effort into wanting me and desiring me? Well, Lord, I'm right here right now. He goes, that's great. See, but for me, and I'm speaking to me, God says, what about from 9 p.m. to midnight? Kids are in bed, you got some time. Well, Lord, that's my documentary time. <laughs> Lord says, the watching and the waiting. See, we like everything quick. We like everything fast. We like everything easy. We don't like to wait. That's why fast food restaurants work so good. You don't wait for it. You just go. You know, Dawn and I can be in town. We'll be a half hour, 40 minutes from home, and the kids are getting hungry. And we can tell them, hey, just wait till you get home. My wife is a health nut. She says, wait, we got good stuff at home. The kids are getting louder. It's easier just to go through the fast food, isn't it? They have been trained to see the McDonald's, the Wendy's. They are trained. And as soon as we pull in, Elias will go, Daddy, get your money out. You know, it's, 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 it's this great system. I hand them some little green bills and just wonderful food comes through the window. It's, a, it's fast. It's easy. Now, if we waited just another half hour, 40 minutes, Dawn could have her carrot slices and whatever she wants to give them at home. See, but what happens is, we like it quick, we like it fast, we like it easy. And so what happens in our Christian walk is we have the same mindset. We say, okay, Lord, if I wait on you, if I watch for you, if I meditate on your word, you've promised me your answer. But Lord, can you do it quick? And he says, no. See, the longer you wait, the longer you watch, the longer you meditate, first off, the deeper you're going to go with me. Second off, let's be honest, the less bad stuff you're going to be doing, it's worth it. You know, in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk spends all of chapter 1 complaining about what's wrong with life. About the evil people win. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. This whole thing isn't fair. He spends all of chapter 1 whining and complaining. You know what he does in chapter 2? He says, okay, now, Lord, I'm going to wait and watch for your answer. Wow, see, that's wisdom. Because how many of us spend all of chapter 1 whining and complaining, and then we're done? See, Habakkuk says, I will wait, I will watch, and you will respond. If you are seeking God right now in wisdom, I can tell you this. If you wait, if you watch, if you meditate, you will be blessed by that. That is a fact. 
You have to change your lifestyle around sometimes. You have to change how we do things because it comes back to verse 17 of chapter 8. Seeking diligently the Lord. James 4.8 says, If you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. That's a promise. That's a wonderful promise. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God. See, when somebody comes to me and they tell me they're feeling dry spiritually, they're feeling like there is no answers, they're feeling like, you know, where is God? Well, what are you doing in your walk with the Lord? Well, nothing. Well, if you're not doing anything with your walk with the Lord, you probably are going to feel dry. You probably are going to feel like God's not there. Because part of our walk with God is diligently seeking Him. Wanting that deeper walk with Him. Wanting that stronger walk with Him. And it takes effort. It is. And it's tough for us to do that. See, but here's the problem. You know, Proverbs 8, 1 through 4, wisdom calls out to us. You know, she's at the top of the hill. She's at the crossroads of the path. She's at the gate. She's at the city. Well, what you have here now in Proverbs 9 is you have foolishness crawling, calling out to us. See, look at Proverbs 9, verse 13. A foolish woman is clamorous. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city to call to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. So you have wisdom personified as a woman calling out to us. Well, you have foolishness personified as a woman in verses 13 on calling out to us too. See, wisdom calls out to us through the word, through worship, through fellowship, through prayer, through the body. God speaks wisdom. But I'll tell you, foolishness is calling out there too. And foolishness is all over the place. Turn on the radio, you hear foolishness. There's foolishness in commercials on TV. There's foolishness all over the internet. There's foolishness in the newspaper ads. There's foolishness in the magazine ads. There's foolishness in your coworkers and their advice and counsel. There's foolishness everywhere. Foolishness calls out. And just as wisdom puts herself in a position to be heard at the crossroads and the high hill at the city gates, well, look at foolishness. She's right on the door, right at the house. As you walk by, foolishness calls out on a seat by the highest places of the city. Verse 14. She's calling out too. It's just like those little old-fashioned cartoons. You've got a devil on one shoulder and you've got an angel on the other. They're calling out to you. Now, which one do you listen to? See, let's be honest. Sometimes foolishness yells a little louder. And sometimes foolishness sounds a little better. Sometimes acting like a fool actually feels pretty good. The Bible talks about the pleasures of sin for a while, for a time. Sometimes foolishness feels real good. Promise foolishness, it comes back to bite you. And as it ends here in the chapter 9, he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. See, foolishness will always come back to hurt you. Wisdom will not do that. Wisdom, once again, look at this description of wisdom back in Proverbs 8, 6 and 7. It's excellent. It's right. It's truth. It's righteousness. It's plain. That's wisdom. Foolishness tears you down and brings you down to hell. That's what it does, the depths of hell. And foolishness yells just as loud as wisdom does. So which one are we going to listen to? Well, look at it from this perspective. Which one's easier to listen to? Foolishness. Wisdom involves watching, waiting, meditating, seeking, 
Wisdom involves spending time with the Lord and hoping to get an answer. Foolishness is an immediate response. You can find foolish wisdom in seconds in this world. Now, it goes back to the fast food thing. What's better for you? Yeah, sure, the fast food is good. But what's better for us? Let's just be honest. We all know the answer to that. Foolishness is right there. It is ready for us to grab and go with. Wisdom takes effort. I've shared with you before, I love watching uh, like PBS, like the cooking shows. I absolutely love that stuff. And so we'll sit at home. Don't laugh. We'll sit at home, and they'll be like, we'll be with the boys, and we'll watching uh, these cooking shows. And our favorite one to watch is America's Test Kitchen. I don't know if you ever watched that, or Cook's Country. I absolutely love it. So we'll sit there, and we'll watch it, and they make all these wonderful meals, and we love watching it. In fact, the boys like it so much, the two main cooks on America's Test Kitchen are Bridget and Julia. And so what happens is the boys will go play America's Test Kitchen. I'll be Bridget. I'll be Julia. It's kind of weird, but, <laughs> but, but they like it. Anyway, they have these great meals. They, they have these wonderful meals, and, and they are absolutely wonderful. The problem is they take hours to prepare. I'm telling you, in 15 minutes I can have a frozen pizza. There's not a comparison there. And the frozen pizza tastes pretty good. It really does. See, this is the problem with our society once again. That quick, that fast, that easy, but it tastes good. See, wisdom is the long, slow-cooked meal that's worth it. Foolishness is that fast food that sure tastes good right at the beginning, but it's not going to be worth it in the long run. That's the hard part about this. Turn, if you will, to Psalm chapter 1. Let's build on this real quick here as we get ready to finish. Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1 is, I think, a wonderful psalm. I, I, I call it like a wisdom psalm. It's only six verses long. It's really short, but it's got everything in there that you need to know. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Look at the progression there. He's walking, and then he's standing, and then he's sitting. See, that, that's what sin does to us. You walk in it, then you stand in it, then you sit in it. And see, no one ever thinks they're going to be sitting in it. I'm just going to talk to him a little. I'm just going to do this at work a little. I'm just going to talk to her a little. I'm just going to just fudge this. Next thing you know, you're walking in it. Next thing you know, you're standing in it. Then you're sitting in it. See, that's what foolishness does. It just pulls you down. And the thing is, I've seen it so often with people. You know, she'll start dating this guy. He'll start dating this girl. And it's like, are they a believer? No. It's like, man, you're walking. Next thing you know, you're sitting, and then you're standing. We'll be like, well, I'm going to hang around with these people. I'm going to go do this, I'm going to do that. And it's like, that, that's not wisdom, that's not smart. You're walking, then you're sitting, and then you're, you're standing, and then you're sitting. It just brings you down. What are we supposed to do, verse 2? But his, law, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Now, I can't make you desire the word and wisdom and guidance and direction. You have to want it. But if you look here, meditating day and night, you see this relationship where they want the things of God continually, deeply, regularly. 
That is what is going to bring wisdom into your life. What is the result of that? Verse 3, he's planted like a tree by the rivers of the water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Have you ever seen people that during the midst of a trial and a tribulation, they're staying strong? They're not withering. I'm willing to bet those people that are staying strong are probably planted by the river of water, in God's word, meditating day and night. See, when you cut yourself off from being with the Lord and having that deep relationship, you, you wither spiritually. It just happens. We wither as individuals. We wither as marriages. We wither in relationships. We just start to dry up spiritually. We've got to stay planted. It takes a lot of work. Verse 4, But the ungodly are not so. They are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. See, verse 6 is one of those black and white verses. Righteous or ungodly? There, there's no in-between. And isn't this what we're talking about today? Righteous or ungodly? Wisdom or foolishness? Which one's it going to be? We can make that choice ourselves. As we have said out here numerous times, free will is a wonderful gift to God. Free will is also a horrible thing. Because in free will, I can choose to go deeper in the Lord and be blessed. In free will, I can choose to not go deeper in the Lord. See, I can choose the path of foolishness. And if you've been coming on Wednesday nights, we've been studying the life of David and Psalms. And we just got done with David making some really foolish choices. Really foolish choices. Adultery, murder, trying to cover it up, unconfessed sin. Really foolish choices. Well, what we're going to get into in the next couple of weeks on Wednesdays, the ramifications of those foolish choices. And I'm sure a lot of us can sit here today and say, man, one choice, one decision, the consequences of that choice and decision. It's never worth it. And as we just taught a few Sundays ago, it's not worth it. Foolishness, sin, it's never worth it. The results of watching and waiting on the Lord, staying strong with Him, planting yourself in Him, the blessing that comes out of that is always worth it. I cannot stress that to you enough. You will be blessed by spending that time with Him and going deeper in Him. It's always worth it. You will not wither. You'll stay strong. You'll stay planted in God, and He will get you through whatever storms and trials you face in life. Marv, you want to come forward here for the final song? Actually, I'm going to get done a little early today because I didn't want to get into chapter 10.